We told you at the inception of this show that Fearless is dedicated to supporting ministers and comedians. The clergy and comics are supposed to protect truth, free speech, and the public square. Yesterday, I used a sermon by Reverend Tony Evans to talk about why I spend so much time talking about black culture. Today, we're gonna extend that conversation by talking about comedian Dave Chappelle. The forces corrupting American culture wanna cancel ministers and comedians. A comedy club in Minneapolis booted Chappelle from its venue yesterday. Chappelle, like all great comedians, is a culture critic. The left doesn't want its satanic culture criticized. They want Chappelle to pay a price for criticizing the transgender movement. The left doesn't want us to confess our sins. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Thursday uh, to you and yours. Happy day before Friday. The weekend is almost here. Uh, we're gonna continue to soldier through uh, this week and we're gonna actually uh, pick up where we started, where we left off yesterday. And if you remember yesterday, I was like, I got Pastor Anthony coming on, I got Dave Shannon coming on, I got Shamika coming on. We meant to have Anthony on yesterday. Big traffic accident on the highway, delayed Anthony, and so we couldn't have him on. And so we, we just soldiered through, and I talked for an hour and 45 minutes yesterday. Uh, we'll hear from Anthony and, and Bobby next week on the next Tennessee Harmony. But Dave Shannon and Shamika Michelle uh, will be here to respond to the show we had yesterday and that fire starter uh, that we set yesterday, basically talking about the purpose of this show, why it's so critical of what this perceived assigned black culture that pop culture has given to black people. And, and so I, I walked you through a lot of stuff yesterday. And, and if you know anything about a coach or any leader or any public speaker, mostly what they do is find a new way to say the exact same thing over and over again. And that's kind of what I spelled out yesterday. as like, what do, you, what do you mean you don't, what solution am I offering? What solution is this show offering? Every day we come up with a way to tell you like, hey man, this biblical worldview, Jesus Christ, Christianity, that's what made America great. That, those are the values and those are the solutions we're offering up on this show. And so I want to go a cut deeper or, or I don't even know if it's deeper or just, I just want to expound on that a little bit more and explain to you how Dave Chappelle is connected to that. And, and again, I mentioned at the, in the open of this show about how this show from its inception, we talked about, and I explained on this show and I explained to the blaze what I wanted to do with this show, and I've explained to the audience. Comedians and ministers have let America down. They haven't kept the public square open for uncomfortable conversations. They're folding to the culture that wants to silence 
everybody and everything. And so culture critics, critics are constantly under attack because the left, the satanic movement that's going on in America and across the globe, they don't want their culture analyzed and criticized. And that's why Dave Chappelle is in the crosshairs. He's a culture critic. His comedy is about uh, critiquing popular culture, mainstream culture. That's what all great comedians do. And that's why they're important, nearly as important as ministers, because they, they create a safe space in an environment where the rest of us can have these uncomfortable conversations and get at the truth. Again, they, comedians, ministers protect truth, free speech, and the public square. That's why ministers and comedians are under attack. And, and again, I'm gonna connect it all the way to yesterday's conversation about Tony Evans. And, and the minister Tony Evans was my jumping off point yesterday, and he talked about, are you willing to draw a line in the sand as a Christian, as a believer, or will you just bend to the culture and bend to the culture and bend to the culture and try to make your religion fit and your religious views fit into the culture? And he said, there will be no favor you will receive no blessings. You will descend into this hell on earth that we're descending into if you're not willing to draw a line in the sand. This show, me, I'm about drawing a line in the sand. I'm about criticizing and exposing the culture because I understand the power and the necessariness of confession. And so Dave Chappelle and what he does, I want to connect this back to Dave and what he does like a minister. When ministers and comedians talk about uncomfortable truths and point out uncomfortable truths and ironies and, and, and hypocrisies and stupidity that go on in, in, a, in a culture, it's a form of confession. It's a form of drawing a line in the sand. Hey, there's a price you have to pay for this level of stupidity. And as it relates to the transgender issue and this whole movement we have going on globally, but most acutely right here in America, that we don't know what a woman is anymore. It's just a vibe. It's just a feeling. Anybody can be a woman. Anybody can be a man. It doesn't matter your sexual organs. It doesn't matter your chromosomes. It doesn't matter what God made you inside the womb. You get to decide. This is insanity. Dave Chappelle, through his comedy, has been pointed it out, and now he's under a vicious attack. They wanna cancel him because they want to cancel confession. They don't want us dealing with our flaws. Let me read the statement from First Avenue, and, and <laughs> this is a comedy club or theater in Minneapolis, and Minneapolis is like becoming the new San Francisco. I mean, Minneapolis is just woke and crazy. 
I, I think George Floyd accentuated this, but clearly these seeds had already been planted long before George Floyd because man, have they taken root and blossom. This is like a bamboo tree. It grew under earth and then once it got above ground, it's growing uh, four inches every two hours or something. It, this is crazy, but here's what First Avenue had to say about canceling uh, Dave Chappelle. Uh, to, the Dave Chappelle show tonight at First Avenue has been canceled and is moving to Varsity Theater. To staff, artists, and our community, we hear you and we are sorry. We know we must hold ourselves to the highest standards and we know that we let you down. We are not just a black box with people in it and we understand that First Ave is not just a room but, meaning, but meaningful beyond our walls. The First Avenue team and you have worked hard to make our venues the safest spaces in the country and we will continue with that mission. We believe in diverse voices and the freedom of artistic expression, but in honoring that, we lost sight of the impact this would have. We know there are some who will not agree with this decision. You are welcome to send feedback. If you're a ticket holder, look for an email with information, your tickets, blah, blah, blah. That's First Avenue folding to the woke mob. And, and Minneapolis, it's not shocking. Uh, Minneapolis has a transgender uh, city council president calls himself Andrea Jenkins. Andrea Jenkins uh, wrote a poem uh, criticizing uh, Dave Chappelle. And again, th their political structure in Minneapolis can't put applied pressure on this First Avenue and Dave Chappelle under attack. Their transgender the man pretending to be a woman who's their city council president attacking Dave Chappelle through Palm and trying to silence him. They don't want us talking about what they're doing. They don't want us analyzing the culture they're imposing. They're trying to shut down Dave Chappelle. Before I play th this poem from this transgender man, I, I want to just piggyback off yesterday's conversation and, and explain to you why confession is important. And I, and I thought of this yesterday. We have a prayer call uh, every Wednesday at 530. It, people that work on the show, uh, people that work with us in, in Kansas City. And, and, and I was thinking about this yesterday during our prayer call about why Prayer is important and why confession is important. And as I like to do, I, I, I thought about myself and what's going on with me. And, and I want to explain this to you all uh, be, because I don't want you to think the solution we're offering, Christianity, is some sort of magic dust, magic spooky energy in the air uh, that when I talk about a biblical worldview and adopting the philosophies and the guidance and submitting yourself in obedience to God and, and the gospel, these, this is a real thing. It has tangible results. The reason why you humble yourself in prayer, the reason why you publicly confess your sins is because it compels you to do better. I'll give you the real life example. It's why I constantly on this show and in my private life 
constantly talk about my gluttony and my battle of the bulge and trying to get healthy. I used to not talk about it. I used to, th this used to be the big open secret that I just wore around everywhere. And, and Justin, if you have time uh, while I'm doing this, pull up the, the picture of me at ESPN in the blue t-shirt when I'm damn near 400 pounds, pull that up and, and put it on screen. I walked around like this all the time. It's a big open secret like, man, Whitlock is struggling with gluttony. It's obvious, look at him. And I walked around, but no one would talk about it. Everyone would just act like it wasn't there because I acted like it wasn't there. I acted like it was a non-issue. Everybody could see it. Look at that. Who couldn't see it like, holy cow, Whitlock. Stick a pin in Whitlock and let the air out. Let some of that gravy out. Everybody could see it. I wouldn't talk about it. I ignored it, pretended like it was no problem. But over the course of the last year, for the first time, I got comfortable where I talk about it constantly. I confess the sin of my gluttony constantly. That's what I'm doing right now. I pray about it, but I talk about it. And it's a way of keeping me focused on what the problem is so that I address the problem. See, when you run away from it, hide from it, don't talk about it, don't confess it. It's a way of avoiding it and just hoping it goes away on its own. And so it not only changes me and my attitude and my approach, but by me talking about it publicly so much, it changes the way that people engage with me. Take my mother. When I go home to Indianapolis, my mother's an awesome cook. She knows all the foods that I love. But because I'm constantly talking about gluttony and my battle with the bulls, now when I come home, the food she prepares for me is in line with that and I don't even have to ask for it. We had, there's a woman named Ricky that works with us here at The Blaze, she works in Dallas. She came to Nashville to hang out with her girlfriend, stopped by the office, and she brought, as a gift, she brought healthy snacks to the studio. And it's because I keep publicly confessing, I'm battling my gluttony, I'm trying to lose weight, she can see the results. It, it, when you change, and when the way you talk changes, you create an energy around you that people will adapt to and respond to, and they'll start engaging with you in a way that benefits you. But if you ignore it, and everybody can see the problem, everybody, I, I go to somebody's house, or they come visit me, oh, let's go to Biscuit Love here in Nashville. Oh, let's go to Martin's Barbecue here in Nashville. Oh, uh, let's hit up this fast food joint. Oh, let's, let me cook you X, Y, and Z. And it's because I was ignoring my problem. Everybody could see it and they thought, oh, well, he must be happy being that big. So let me feed him food. Again, the reason I talk about me and strip clubs, it's a way. And, and get my friends acknowledge it. And get, no one hits me up and says, hey man, let's come on out to Vegas and let's hit up Spearmint Rhino. 
And I got friends that still love to do that. And I don't judge them. I'm not criticizing them. I'm not, but they don't ask me anymore because I have publicly confessed my problem, what I'm dealing with and the direction I'm going. And so they respond to me differently. They don't make those invitations. Any, and they, I was the king of it. My reputation among my friends, like, oh my God, if you get married, make sure Whitlock throws your bachelor party. It's gonna be off the hook. They don't ask me that no more. Again, confession. Again, this is what Tony Evans, me expounding on his point. He said, draw a line in the sand if you want favor. I'm saying confess your sins if you want favor. And they're trying to stop us from confessing our sins. They don't want us in a spirit of favor. They don't want God to favor us. They don't want us to do better. And so they don't want us to talk about this satanic culture they have built for us. Don't talk about it, ignore it. Pretend, everybody can see. Again, it's like uh, when I showed y'all with Ryan Clark and these guys asking Charles Barkley about black on black crime. Oh, let's don't talk about it. Let's don't, everybody can see it like it's a problem. It's obvious. It's, and we should talk about it if we want to see it improve. If we want to see people help us combat that problem. Again, if we talk, it's no different. Like we sit around and talk, oh, if there's a white cop that does anything to black people, we talk about that nonstop. And so what do they, what do people around us do? Oh, we got to address that. We got to do everything in our power to stop white cops from killing black people. Now that happens about 200 times a year. About 200 times a year. About 10,000, 15,000 times a year, a black person will kill another black person. We don't talk about it. We can lie. We talk about it in private, in secret. Don't air our dirty laundry. Don't talk about it in public. But we act like, oh my God, Derek Chauvin is the real threat to us. How many of y'all live in neighborhoods where you wish the Crips and Bloods just kneeled on your neck and shoulders for nine minutes? You'd pray for that. But when they pull out them Glocks and nine millimeters and open fire or some semi-automatic weapon in a drive-by, you'd, you'd rather have a crip or a blood kneel on your back or neck for nine minutes than have them open fire with a semi-automatic weapon. We deal with that every day, but we, we're not on TV crying about it. We're not, on, we're not protesting about it. We talk about it in private. It's our little secret. Everybody can see it. It's no different than the picture of me at damn near 400 pounds. Everybody can see it. But if I'm going to ignore it, everybody else is going to ignore it. Whitlock must like that. He's insane. And that's what they want us to be, insane. We must like black bodies dropping every five minutes in our neighborhoods and in our communities. Because we don't talk about it. We don't confess it. We don't acknowledge it's a problem on a daily basis. This is why, again, this is why I talk about it every day. It's not once a week thing. It's not once a month. All the time. And watch how people change around you. Here's, we got this whole insanity about this transgender issue and they, they put a black face on it. 
and, and they don't want Dave Chappelle objecting to it. They don't want people talking about it like, hey, this is insane. It's no different than why they've tried to silence Matt Walsh over at the Daily Wire. But here's the transgender black city council president in Minneapolis going after Dave Chappelle. The poem is called Mistaken Identity. Thought I was Lucille, always singing the blues. Thought I was from another planet, always spaced out. Thought I might be a plant myself, always being uprooted. Just when comfort appeared, come uppance on the verge, Thought I was Marvin. Woo! Mercy, mercy me. Dave Chappelle thought I was a carpetbagger, an imposter, an impossible burger. He said as much. Y'all thought it was all sunshine and rainbows. John Stewart said, I know Dave. He's a good human being. I know his heart. But we ain't talking about his heart. We ain't talking about his charity. I have a great deal of sympathy for that man. He has some mental health issues that make him think he's a woman and make him think that uh, you know, this is how he should present himself, that he's a woman, and I, I have a great deal of sympathy for him. But electing him the leader of your city council, the leader of your city, that's insanity. And Minneapolis will pay the consequences of that, no different than San Francisco is paying the consequences for its total swallowing of the LGBTQ plus uh, the silent P movement. And they don't want me to talk about it. They don't want me to shove it in your face that this is what we got going on representing us. They don't want Dave Chappelle talking about the insanity of electing someone who has obvious mental health issues to be the leader of your city. They don't want you talking about it because they don't want you to deal with it. They don't want you to confess the sin of it. They don't want you to acknowledge you're building Sodom and Gomorrah, that we're living in Babylon. They want you to ignore it and pretend like it doesn't exist. So you'll never address it. And so when I start talking about a biblical worldview, it's a lifestyle, it's a way of looking at life that will lead to progress and improving your life and the lives of people around you. That's the solution. And I'm sorry that that man, Andrea Jenkins, thinks he's a woman. I'm sorry for that and I will pray for him. And we should try to create a society that is empathetic towards him. But we ain't got to pander and nor should we. That man has a mental health issue and needs help. 
He does not need to be leading a city or a city council. Uh, before I just ramble on forever uh, and, and not get to <laughs> not get to Dave and Shamika again, uh, let me bring Dave Shannon in, uh, my guy from Idaho. Uh, Dave, uh, have I have I done a good enough job in the past two days of just I'm trying to give people a fundamental understanding of why a biblical worldview is important, the benefits of it and how it can be implemented to improve your life. I don't want people to think of God and the gospel as some little magic dust that gets sprinkled on you. It's it's a it's a life philosophy and a worldview that will transform your life in a better way and in a better direction. Am I right in my argument? Yeah, not just that though, Jason, you've been right for the last year since you've been doing the show and communicating that. I want, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still, I'm still tripping about the insanity of what's happening in Minneapolis. I'm surprised that it, you can be comfortable enough right now with the economy falling apart and the inflation going sky high and gas prices almost near $10 a gallon. And you can refuse to have somebody like a cash cow like Dave Chappelle come. I just, the insanity there is not going to be successful long term. It's insane that you would look at all this in the economy and think like, yeah, it's a good deal to remove a cash cow. Anyway, that said, uh, the, the paradox right now that I think people are missing, the one that gets overlooked a lot, Jason, is the paradox of in order to be up, you need to get low. Um, we miss out on this because we have pride. The way that the world actually works is what you've been communicating on your show is that if a man wants to be exalted, he first needs to humble himself before God. And humbling himself before God, in due time, he will exalt you. And the way that this works is that you look at the world and you say, I have made a mess of it. Obviously, what I think I know, I don't know. And I've destroyed myself, which is what you've been communicating. I've destroyed myself and the world around me. And I need a new integration point into reality. And the reason you said this at the top of the show, the reason that they don't want you to confess your sins, because that's where the superpower is. Confession of sin is the reordering of your integrations into reality so that you can say, God, I've sinned. Forgive me. Give me a new way, a right way of looking into the world and understanding the world so that I can create human flourishing. And when you submit to God and you understand that, you start seeing that God has done this in Christ. And he says, this is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to be a woman. This is what it means to come together and create children. This is the purpose of those children. And, and so having that repentance and confession reorients you to be able to come and interact with the world so that blessings come from it. And, 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 <laughs> and in order for blessings to come from it, you have to clean the house, Jason. That's what they're afraid of in confession of sin. Confession of sin is cleaning the house. And this is something that you were saying earlier. When you clean a house and you get it spick and span, you get it nice and white, everybody then who comes and interacts with that house knows that they have to act and engage a certain type of way. They just can't come in a nice white house with dirty shoes on. So then all of a sudden, the, the environment around the cleanliness starts to become clean, too, because they're saying, wait— we can't have engagement with what this beauty is if if we are dirty as well. And so it creates a chain reaction to say, if we're going to enact it, 
or react or engage with cleanliness and beauty, we need to be cleaned up. We need to be beautified. Wait a second. We have to confess our sins too, but I love my sin. And so that's where the friction comes. We want to keep our dirty shoes on. We want to forget your couch attitude (laughs) approach to the whole thing. But the reality is you can't live in a world like that. And that's what you're yelling. That's what you're screaming the whole time. We have to clean our house. And in cleaning our house, doing that, confessing our sins, asking Christ to come in and purify it and to dwell in it creates a whole culture of holiness around it. I'm going to give another real life example that some people won't get uh, or they'll be upset that I'm going here. But again, Mm -hmm. as it relates to because we have all this conversation around police brutality and police misconduct. And I'll probably get a little more into that with Shamika uh, later. But but I, I just want people to understand, like, as a man. My first responsibility is to secure my own survival and to protect myself. And so as it relates to my engagement with the police, I take control of that by my actions. I give off an energy to police, present myself to the law enforcement, present myself to others in a very respectful manner in hopes and thinking that they're going to feed off my respect and give me respect. And that has been my life experience, that the people I hit with warmth and kindness and respect, whether they want to or not, they eventually fold and hit me with warmth and kindness and respect. And so this is what I'm talking about. Like, there's no line in the sand that we'll draw that that Tony Evans was talking about is like, oh, so We've accepted this definition of what black culture is from popular culture and the puppet masters in Hollywood and all that. And so, you know, black people, you know, black men, pull your pants down, have it hanging off your butt like you're in prison. Tat yourself up like you're in prison. Uh, Wear uh, corn rolls and whatever. Put on the white tee, the whole night. Dress yourself up like you're a thug and then get upset if someone treats you in that manner. And it's like, well, hold on. How have you presented yourself? What energy have you given off? Why are you, you you want that guy to overlook the fact that, hey, I know I'm dressed like a gang member, but I want him to overlook that and not assume that about me. And again, I take control of that and try to present myself in the most professional, uh, warm spirit. I'm, I'm no punk, I'm no coward. I don't present myself like a punk, but I give off the energy I want to get back. And so if when I want hostility, I give off a hostile uh, energy. I dress like I'm prepared for hostility. And, and so th- this is, again, the energy of Christianity and what it advises and what it's trying to guide you towards is be the change that you want to see. And you'll be shocked at how people react to you. And so I. Uh, it's, it's just as simple as what I'm saying about me and food. I, over the past year, I think it started on August 17th, I started giving off a totally different energy about myself as it relates to food and gluttony. And people are reacting and responding to me completely differently than they had before. Instead of me being a, a little 
uh, animal at the zoo that you got to put up a sign, don't feed the pet or whatever. I don't put up the sign. Feed me broccoli and spinach and, <laughs> and protein bars or whatever. And people are responding to that. That's the power of a biblical worldview and embracing the gospel and the truths espoused in the gospel. And, and these solutions that we're offering are simple. You can implement them at home. You don't need more money to implement them. They don't need to build you a school to implement God's thinking and philosophy. You can do it individually, apply that to your family. And again, that's why I love having you and Delano on, because y'all are such great representations of like, build a family, you and your wife, procreate as much as you want within that family structure. That's what God wants for you. And there's blessings and, and, and uh, progress and success built around building that family structure. Uh, am, am, I, am I hitting the right notes? I'm just going to harmonize with you. Yeah, you're hitting the right notes. Uh, you know, one of the things you were talking about earlier when you were talking about with the police, one of the first things that my mom taught me with engaging with officers, grew up in a Christian home, but it was bigger than the police officer. It wasn't about the officers. It was more about, are you a self-governed person? Do people know you're a self-governed person? You have ethics and values that extend far higher and far greater than those that come from our society. And son, I'm going to hold you to those. You walk a certain way. You talk a certain way. You bring yourself to have dignity in everything you do. You treat people well. Those values were things that were taught to me by my mother and my Christian foundation, Christian background. And so when I engage anyone, an officer or not, I'm engaging someone with human dignity and human value, and I'm letting them know that I'm governed by a morality and I have virtue that extends beyond the culture, right? I serve a God, an officer or whoever I'm dealing with, I have to answer to God even before I have to answer to you. So my morality is held at a higher value and I have more virtue than even what you're trying to enforce even at this moment. I always want to have that attitude. I always want to carry myself with that type of dignity. And I always want to hand that down to my children. Um, you know, when part when I was watching the show yesterday, Jason, it, it kind of it rattled me a little bit because I didn't like the fact that there was a it seemed like you had it. You weren't being it, but it seemed like you kind of had to be defensive in a summer way, because the question was, what are you doing? What are you doing to change things? What have you done? And I rejected the question because it assumes that I have to engage the same way everybody else does in order to create an outcome that you want. And here's here's my pushback to something like that. It's when God wanted to transform and change the world radically from what it was, what he did was come in the most humble ways. He came as a baby. He didn't come with an army. He didn't come with a whole new institution conquering kings that way. The way that he decided to conquer the world was coming as a child. It was hidden. It was it's that um paradox that we're talking about. When everybody else comes, I want to conquer. I'm bringing me my armies. I'm bringing me the host of heaven. I'm going to put it down on you. We're going to take this whole thing over. But he didn't come that way. He came in a way to restore authority back to its rightful place. He came as a man in the flesh of, of, that we have in a womb. And he came that way and died for human beings so that the authority that was lost in the garden could be given back to man to function and to operate in reality with blessings from heaven down on earth. 
That's what the whole world was designed for. That the earth would look like heaven, that man would be a model of God here on earth. And that's what Jesus Christ restored. He restored that authority. Everything that you do and that we do on this show is in that vein. It's not coming, trying to make institutions and make this and make that and put everything out there. Come with some huge army. Jason, what this show does, Fearless, is hand out winning lottery tickets every time you air. Here is the authority that you have, man. Repent. Confess your sins in Christ. Walk that way. And then as you begin to live in that authority, you flourish and you grow and you're exalted. That's the only answer. That's the way that the world really works. The problem with the question that was or the, the statement that was given to you by your, the, your listener was that they assume something different than the way the world actually works. The world works is by properly setting in the authority that's supposed to be there. And when you do that, everything else falls into place. There could be nothing better than proclaiming the truth and the gospel and repentance and faith in Jesus. That's the way that we win. There's a belief, the woman's name was Loretta, and there's, yeah, it's, it's pervasive. Right. Uh, it's pervasive that somehow there's power and healing in ignoring a problem. And so if we just don't talk about it, and if Jason would just quit talking about it, and you know what, just talk about white people and, and talk about other things. I never hear you blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, I want to talk about what's going on with me and, right. and how can I improve me? And how can I improve the environment and the people that, again, my family's black. Most of my friends are black. I, I grew up in a culture that I, I enjoyed and respected, and I've seen it perverted and turned yeah. into something satanic. And it bothers me because I know that it's just, it's a gateway drug to bringing down all of America. And, and so I, I just... I'm trying, if you could help me out here, and this is where I, I really wanted Anthony or Bobby yesterday, but th this, this belief that somehow ignoring a problem, and, and let's shut down all critics, and again, that's why ministers are under attack, and they're bending, it's why comedians like Dave Chappelle are under attack, and many of them are bending, is, is because everybody's trying to silence criticism and everybody, the, the left and the people installing the satanic culture are preaching to everybody like, oh man, if you criticize this culture, you've, you've sold out, you're a racist, you're an Uncle Tom. It's like they don't want the culture analyzed and people are buying into it like, hey, let's don't talk about our problems. That our problems will go away if we just ignore them. That can't be scripturally sound. And that's why, again, I think confession and prayer, humility, all of that is important. And it's all a part of a biblical worldview. There is, um, there, you know, if you think about kids, um, kids act like this. Immature folks act like this. What they do is they go do something that they know they're not supposed to do. Um, and they hope that mom and dad don't find out and they leave the mess because they can't cover it up. And then they go back and play and they never expect any sort of punishment for what they did um, at all. And the Bible talks about this. The Bible says that although they knew God, they chose not to honor him as God and rejected him and decided to worship the creation rather than the creator. Part of the problem with this is that they're ignoring it because they don't want the spanking that comes along with it. Okay, 
They, they want they don't want the judgment that comes along with it. The problem is that the insanity of this is, is that the very idea of them rejecting God is insane in and of itself. That is the judgment. That is the insanity. And that has a long term effect that will destroy them. You know, and so that's part of the problem. You know, and so when you come and you say, hey, you need to repent. What you're saying to someone is that they need to take all of their sins, all of their shame, all of their guilt and expose it before God. And they're like, no, 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 no. See, if I do that, I'm going to get in trouble. If I do that, I'm going to have to give this sin up. If I do that, there will be wrath. What they don't understand is that God has provided a way of escape for them. That's the other side that we really have to continue to tell people about. You're right. You are wrong. You're right. You have sinned. You're right. You are messed up. Yes, you are going insane because of your condemnation and rejection of God. But there is one who has died to take your sin so that you can be made right. That if you give this up, he will give you abundant life, not just into the world to come, but blessings and fruitfulness in this very world, too. And so I think part of the problem is that we need to make sure that we're proclaiming the whole thing. It's not just that you will get in trouble. But you have the kind of father, the kind of the, our our understanding of fatherhood is so screwed up. Jason, we think that if we tell our father the truth, that he'll kill us. That's not what your father is there for. Your father is there to restore you. And so we've had such a bad model of fatherhood that we like, oh, if I go to dad, man, he's going to beat me forever. He's going to take away this. I'll never have that. But your dad is there to say, rescue you, son. Our father is the type of father that comes and gives his life for his children so that they can be restored. So you don't have to live insane writing poems about Dave Chappelle while looking like a woman. Our father restores you back to your natural order so that you can be a man that loves a woman and has children and creates flourishing and blessing for a society. That's the other side of the coin. Yeah, you got to give up your sin because it's killing you, man. It's making you insane. It's making you throw away. I mean, just what they did with Dave Chappelle and throwing away all that money. That's that's a curse. You don't do that in the economy like this. You're insane to do something like that. Dave Chappelle doesn't even tell you to I, believe I, Jesus. <laughs> you know, I, I want to correct you on one thing, though. Th that was a man with a very poor attempt to try to look like a woman, uh, the city council person. Uh, yes, he, he did. Yes. At no point did he look like a a woman. Now, I, I don't want to laugh. I don't want to laugh at Joe because I have I, great I agree sympathy. with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> let, let me. Uh, I, I'm gonna give you one scripture that I, I thought you would drop, but I'll drop John one and nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Dave, yep. thank you so much for the time. Uh, appreciate it. Great job. Uh, let me take care of a little business, free speech, religious liberty, the Second Amendment. Across our country, your constitutional rights are under constant attack, and it's only getting worse by the day. That's why I'm proud to support Patriot Mobile. They're not just America's only Christian conservative cell phone provider. They're one of the few companies fighting back. They offer the same nationwide coverage as major carriers, so you get the same great service, plus the peace of mind that your money is combating the left's attempt to silence you. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, and their 100% U.S.-based customer support team provides exceptional customer support. Patriot Mobile shares your values and supports organizations fighting for religious freedom, constitutional rights, 
and sanctity of life and our veteran and first responders heroes. Go to patriotmobile.com slash Jason or call 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation with the offer code Jason. Veterans and first responders save even more. So make the switch today between the left, the media, and the rhinos. We need to stick together. PatriotMobile.com slash Jason. PatriotMobile.com slash Jason or call 972-PATRIOT. Shamika Michelle, X. All right, welcome back. Uh, time for some Shamoke show. Uh, my favorite part of the show, my favorite contributor, my favorite fearless soldier, uh, Shamika Michelle. Uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, Dave Chappelle, under attack. Uh, I don't know if, did you get to see the clip of the uh, city councilman that calls himself Andrea Jenkins? Uh, Minneapolis is just a freak show. You know, it's, it's like the Midwest version of, of San Francisco. But, but I, I think they actually are just making Dave Chappelle more popular by pulling stunts like this. I think it's crazy, uh, Jason. First of all, yes, I did see that ridiculous attempt to look like a woman. It, it didn't work. It, he did not succeed. Um, but, you know, I think they're so angry. They didn't get Dave Chappelle to bend, which they are used to people bending and apologizing and turning back and asking for forgiveness. Oh, that's not what I meant. And, you know, extra explaining. That's what they're used to. They couldn't get his fans to walk away from him. Those of us that love Dave Chappelle, those of us that understand what he's doing as far as, you know, when you talk about ministers and comedians critiquing the culture, they they couldn't get us to turn around. So now what they have to do is go after the venues and most people are weak. So I think it's going to be an easy task to get a lot of these venues to say, oh, no, we can't have Dave Chappelle. His speech is violent. I don't know what happened to sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now we act as if words can actually jump up and punch you off the page or, you know, when they're coming out of someone's mouth, they're actual bullets. What do we mean words or speech is violence? This is ridiculous. It shows how, how weak we are as a society, as people. And I agree with you. It's an effort so that we won't talk about it. So we won't confront what they are actually doing to the culture. I, I agree totally with your take on that. Well, Shamika, the, 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 the way they explain that his comedy is violent and speech is violent is, is, and we saw this with the Stanford woman, the Stanford professor that got into it with Josh Hawley. They go to suicide rates and, and say, oh, tr kids that identify as transgender commit suicide. And so any ridicule, any, any questioning of their attitude and behavior is potentially dangerous and violent. And, and this is a conversation I wanna have uh, with Bobby and Anthony probably on Wednesday I will, but, but you and I can have it because I, that tactic used to work with me in terms of 
of like, man, yeah, you don't want to do anything and we got to tamp down this society to make sure that these kids don't feel so bad that they commit suicide. I get that concern. I don't think the answer is to pander and to tell them, hey, uh, wanting to go through surgery and pretending to be a man when you're really a woman or pretending to be a woman when you're really a man, that's not the solution either. And so just this, and again, it, it's no different than what they're trying to do. Uh, and, and people get tired of me making this analogy, but I'm going to. It's like them trying to normal, don't crack fat jokes anymore. Because, you know, fat people have a higher suicide rate and fat people deal with depression and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, nah, that's not the solution. The, 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 whatever shame I felt about being obese, I needed to feel. Uh, and, and again, I could care less about fat jokes. I crack the best ones. But I don't want to live in a society where... Uh, being fat and overweight is normalized and everybody runs around and asks, oh, that's okay. Yeah, you 150 pounds overweight, Jason, and, and, and you won uh, White Castle double cheeseburger away from falling over and dying, but, but we can't tell you that because we don't want to hurt your feelings. No pain, no gain is, is, is my philosophy and I'm just not going to bend to I can't tell someone the truth because the truth may hurt them. Jason, I often wonder where these people were raised or how they were raised. When I grew up, you we called it scolding. You know, people call it playing the dozens. You had to be able to have a comeback. We didn't sit around and cry. I was called a black African booty scratcher. I was called skinny mini. I was, you know, I remember one of my friends throwing a broom out the door as I was leaving saying, hey, y'all forgot Shamika. You had to be able to come back with something. That's the same thing I taught my children. I never cared whether or not they would be hurt by something I said. When they would cry and whine and say, my sister said this about me, my response to them was not, sister, don't say anything about them. My response was have a comeback. You better learn how to have a comeback. And I think we've forgotten about that. Even when I saw people like D.L. Hughley and Jamie Foxx getting mad at my comments a couple of weeks ago, I'm thinking y'all are supposed to be comedians. Leslie Jones, you're supposed to be a comedian. Where was your comeback? Instead, you ran and cried and wanted to send people out to attack me because you didn't have a comeback. But I thought you were funny. Where, where was your funny yet? And so I, I've never been the person to really care whether or not it would hurt someone's feeling to the point of suicide. Toughen up. Toughen up and have a comeback. That's the same way I raised my children and that's how I carry myself throughout the day. Have a comeback. You got to know, know how to scold. Let me tap into another side of Shamika. Uh, that that's more consistent with the message I'm, I'm pushing out right now uh, and virtually every day is let's say you're a person that's not built for a comeback. Some people aren't quick witted. That, that's not their deal. That's why I'm prescribing them Christianity. And because your ultimate comeback is, hey, I was made in God's image. 
I am a human being, a wonderful, that, that God loves me the way that I am. And, and again, that's not affirming their desire to go from woman to man or man to woman. That's me trying to say adopt a worldview and a, a, uh, an acceptance of who you are that gives you the ultimate confidence. And so, again, there's a reason why a lot of things and people are like, man, people come on Twitter and say all this stuff about Whitlock and, and he responds to him, engages with him and all that. And it's because I authentically do not care what some random person says about me because the only person I'm really interested in pleasing is God and everybody else can kiss my ass. And I, I'm sorry to throw that in there, but I am talking to Shamika, she brings it out on me. <laughs> but but that, the solution I'm offering is like, if you take on a Christian identity and accept Jesus Christ as your personal and just know who you are through Christ, it won't matter what other people say. That's the ultimate comeback. Right. I often say, if God be for me, who can be against me? For me, when I get up here every day or when I when I do anything, what I hear is have not I commanded thee. Be not afraid, be thou neither dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. I've been commanded to do what I, I'm doing. I feel like this is my purpose, and it does not matter what's said. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be dismayed because I feel like God is with me. So I do believe that a lot of people that cower, that a lot of people that get sad or feel like they don't know who they are in, in this earth realm is because they don't have that foundation, the biblical worldview. They don't have that to lean back on and say, God is with me. God is for me. I don't care who's against me as long as I have God on my side. So I do think that that actually helps. I was raised in the church. So I, I would say that probably gave me a lot of the strength and the courage that I have when I've always been the type of person. When I think that I am doing what God has told me to do, I'm not easily turned around. My Bible study teacher would say, that's one of the things that she liked about me. I believed something until I didn't believe it anymore. And so I am grateful to have that foundation. And I do believe if people had that, they would be a lot more secure in who they are. And they wouldn't fold. They wouldn't cry. They wouldn't whimper because they, they, they got the big man on their side. You got the big man. It doesn't matter who's against you. Uh, I want to get a follow-up from you on, from yesterday's discussion. We talked a little bit about Charles Barkley and his engagement with Channing Crowder and Ryan Clark. And, uh, you know, these guys uh, went on this little tangent, Barkley against them, but Ryan Clark and Channing Crowder. There are no white Ahmaud Arbery's. There are no uh, white... Uh, George Floyd's and and so yesterday I showed the incident with Daniel Shaver uh, who was assassinated in I believe Mesa Arizona in a hotel uh, uh, hallway we, we played that video it's it's the most 
brutal thing I've ever seen happen, a, a cop do. They assassinated that man on film and the cop walked. Uh, I showed the Tony Temper uh, video uh, where police kneeled on him for about 10 minutes, uh, cracked jokes as he went unconscious and died. Uh, those police officers walked and, and nothing, no jail time, nothing. They were cracking jokes about this white dude. Someone sent me uh, one yesterday that, that I, it was new to me. A cop, I believe his last name's Feature, Feaster, Patrick Feaster, I believe is his name, uh, in California. I think we have this video. It's almost as bad as Daniel Shaver. This, there's a guy that's, uh, he pulls out of a parking lot of a nightclub with his girlfriend or wife or someone and cop jumps behind him and uh, follows him. The dude kind of speeds off, crashes his car. And then as we showed you in the video, the guy, uh, white dude, Andrew Thomas, is trying to get, to get out of the crashed car. He's posing no threat to the police officer. White cop walks up, we're sitting, looking at the video right now, that's the crash car, the guy's come, white cop comes up, pulls his car, shoots the dude instantly. That's the guy falling back into his car. That dude got six months and three years probation. Mm. That, that and the cop lied about what happened. You can hear him lying uh, to, to the people in, in the call. He, he, he initially lied. It's, this, I don't know what world these guys are living in where they just don't have <clears throat> access to information, but cops do dumb things. They make mistakes when they get frustrated. I'm sure this fat, stupid cop was frustrated that the guy drove off and didn't pull over immediately and ended up crashing his car. And so in the heat of that emotion and being pissed off, he shot and killed this dude. And it, well, first of all, I want to say he shot and paralyzed the guy. And then I think six months to a year later, the guy died from complications of the shooting and the paralysis. Mm. Uh, but that cop got six months and three years probation for a cold-blooded murder caught on tape. I think they made Charles's point when he said that the media doesn't play this over and over and over again. I wish Charles had the information that you provided about Tony Tempa and the Daniel person because he didn't have a comeback when they said, who's the, you know, white George Floyd? He would have been able to have that information. But I think he actually made his point that the media does not play it when it's someone white over and over and over again so that it's etched into our memory. We know that if you take the time to look at statistics that white people are shot unarmed by the cops uh, more than black people. And they'll say, of course, they said it in the video because it's more of them. Well, it happens though a lot more. And we know that's true. If you take the time to look up the statistics, most people don't. And so they go on um, what they see in the media. And as Charles said, the media doesn't show you that. So it show it tells me that the media has a motive as in why they show these things on repeat, because 
it will have it, it creates this angst amongst the the person and the police between blacks and police. If you stop someone and you automatically think they're going to be in uh, in defense as a police, you're already on guard. If you're a black person and you're stopped, you already feel like, oh, they're going to shoot me. I never grew up thinking that the police would just kill me. I think maybe I've said it here before. My house was shot up. When I went to the door after calling the police, I went to the door with a butcher knife. I was young. I didn't have a gun. When I opened the door, the storm door, which was glass, it had been shattered. The suction made it cave in. I was holding a butcher knife and I was yelling because the glass came in, startled me. The police were there. I never thought I'm getting ready to get shot if I walk to this door with the butcher knife. I was thinking, I don't know what's gonna be on the other side of this door. This knife is all I had to protect myself. And the police started to say, put the knife down. And I was telling them, I'm not gonna use it on you. And they were like, we understand, but put the knife down. I just never thought Oh, police are my enemy. I never had that idea, but I do understand now why so many people do. And it's because the media play these things over and over again. How can you not feel like, oh, they must be hunting and killing us if you don't take the time to actually do research? Shamika, thank you. Great job as always. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag, shopblazemedia.com. Hey, we got all three of the singers of, the, of our new harmony song, Allie Taylor, Tay Lewis, and Davina Stewart. In studio, they're gonna sing Harmony Live. Next. Open up your eyes and see. Let's start. 
simple vow, let's come together now. Harmony, put all your weapons down, love one another now.